You're listening to Out of Nowhere, a series featuring emergent brands with somewhat unexpected origins. Your host is Justin Watkins of Native Digital, a marketing firm specializing in brand messaging and performance media. Let's jump in. Why, why Interplant? You've, you've worked in various industries in your career in different positions. Um, what was it about Interplant where you said, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll put all my time and energy behind this? A number of things. I So I started my career as a BD professional in Silicon Valley, um, first with a large company, General Electric, and their corporate venture capital arm, and then a number of early stage software companies, uh, more on the, the operator side of things. Um, so, so not in agriculture. Uh, I think it took some time, but I've since recovered and, and, and kind of discovered my passion, recovered from, from that Silicon Valley grind. Um, I, I happened into agriculture in a, in a pretty, uh, organic and, and, and natural way. Um, during COVID, one of the things I took on to kind of fill some time is volunteer work on a regenerative farm just outside of San Diego. Food is something I've always been interested in, passionate about. I think it's partly because of my background, interest in uh, nutrition, care for the environment, um, but understanding of, of what it took to, to, to grow food and how our global food systems and, and supply chains operate uh, is something I knew very little about. Now, granted, the work I was doing on this farm was was kind of an anomaly, tiny farm. A lot of what we produced went directly into the local school district, but it kind of prompted an interest, um, one that I, you know, tried to spend as much time as I possibly could learning about, you know, reading, talking to nonprofit folks, policy folks, um, startup founders in the space. And, you know, I think over the course of six or so months, it became one of those things where I realized this is a set of problems or a domain that I could see myself working on for the rest of my career, if not life. Um, so I uh, was pretty methodical, like I am about many things, about kind of surveying uh, the industry to figure out kind of what are the, the biggest problems, where are opportunities that I feel like I can add some value Um like I said, spoke to a number of people uh, when I connected with Shelly and neither of us actually, uh, I think, can recall how, how we got connected. May have been one of those just random LinkedIn uh, connections. But when I connected, I was immediately, uh, I think, drawn to the scale of the, the, the problem we're, we're setting out to, to solve and the potential impact. Um, I think very few, there are a lot of marginal solutions in, in agriculture that, that don't get me wrong, add, add some level of incremental value. But I think just given the sophistication, mechanization, and global nature of commodity row crop production ag, um, I think uh, the, the, the solutions that really get to uh, the problems with the status quo, why you know uh, farming practices and management decisions are so rooted in the ways they are, uh, is what's going to have have the biggest biggest impact. And I think our our technology kind of gets gets right at the center of that. That's cool. Well, let's talk about the technology because I think it's fascinating. Sure. Um, whenever you had that early conversation, and Shelly's talking about you know their plans, 
how do they describe it now then? And has that changed uh, recently? Has it evolved any? And how do you explain it to, you know, friends who may not be in the industry? Yeah, it, it, it's evolved a little bit um, though. I think that the, the message uh, ha- has, 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 mainly stay consistent. Um, so Interplant is, well, I'll start with the premise. I mean, I think uh, Shelly founded the company, Shelly and Rod, our chief science officer, founded the company starting with this idea that plants hold all the knowledge. Over millions of years, they've evolved and learned to respond to their environment and the externalities that presents, as well as to talk to each other. An example I like to give is when a plant is attacked by an insect, it begins to generate a chemical response to repel that insect. And that response is replicated by congruent plants, kind of like a network effect. And so it's that communication that that you know we wanted to, to tap into. Having spent a lot of time with farmers, I, I knew that farmers more than most people kind of understand that concept. They're out, quote unquote, talking to, to plants on, on a daily basis. But the problem has always been that that that's not scalable, obviously, on a thousand acre field, nor are uh, the invisible symptoms um, visible, right? There's there's, there's obviously a certain amount of generational or circumstantial knowledge, but but that's not enough. Um, so, so the question Interplant sought out to answer in the early days is what if we could get crops to communicate exactly what they need, where, where and when they, they need it? I mean, like we've all killed houseplants before, and I just think of farmers facing that kind of challenge on a, on a much bigger scale. Like there, there needs to be some form of, of early indicator in order for us to shift away from um, how farming is done today, which is basically risk reduction and managing uncertainty by applying chemicals and fertilizers in advance on entire fields. And so that's that's kind of what's remained consistent since the beginning of, of Interplant is, uh, is trying to solve that problem of Farmers spending $300 billion a year on agrochemicals, much of it wasted, right? A lot of it's overapplied or misapplied at the at the wrong time. I think we've got numbers to support 30 to 50% of fertilizers are, 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 are superfluous. 50 to 75% of pesticides are, are misapplied. And that, as we know, ends up in our soil, air, air and water. It's costly for farmers. And so the the, the goal is really can we get plants to tell us what they need so that we can start to be more precise and proactive about how we manage the externalities that that farmers face? Yeah, that's cool. I think the first time you and I chatted, you talked about how, you know, there's a lot of experienced growers who they can walk their fields and they're experienced enough that they can basically communicate with the plants on a one-to-one basis. They can look at the leaves and 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 understand some things but that's one-to-one and so mm-hmm. what allows this to scale and have global impact and by the way we have these satellites with computer vision that can see things all the yeah. way down to leaf level so how could we get the plants uh to make indicators that give basically better analytics to where i'm just saying what you said right now but it's like it helps solve these major problems right like every grower yeah. wants to have uh, fewer inputs and better outputs, right? Um, they want to spend less and do less to get better stuff, but you're going to have to have better information. And this yeah. kind of unlocks that. And then from a climate perspective, we don't have all these negative externalities of over-application just by kind of just being like everything, you know, they're treating everything in kind of an uninformed way. We can just, we can do better now, but it, it, 
I just think it's so clever that you realize that the plants can tell us the plants can tell mm-hmm. us what they need. We just have mm-hmm. to kind of mm-hmm. train them a little bit. Should I explain how, how that works? Please do. Yes. So, um, because training them isn't easy and right. getting plants to talk is obviously, uh, impossible. So what we do is, and there's a tremendous amount of unlocks kind of precedents that allow us to do what we're, we're doing from a, you know, technological advancement, um, standpoint. The first is, is genetic engineering, right? So effectively what we do, um, and this is what the plant molecular biologists and plant pathologists and, and computational biologists on our team do is we go in and study the plant genome. You know, I think a plant has 19 or 20,000 individual genes that are activated under different stress conditions activated under different conditions, period. Um, but we care about the, the, the stressors, obviously. So we go in and select those genes that are upregulated, that are turned on effectively when stress is induced. Um, when those genes are turned on, they, they create proteins. That's the response. That's the systematic um, response that the plant is having. Happens almost instantaneously, right? Same thing would happen for us if we contract a cold, um, you know, we're going to start our immune system kicks in, we're going to start activating certain parts of our genome um, to 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 kick in our, our, our immune response. Um, so we go in and we study those individual genes. And then but what we do is we effectively take a, a fluorescent marker. Um, this is a, a another gene um, uh, or another protein that uh, is manifested in nature. It's used in all sorts of scientific disciplines from from um, you know neuroscience to uh, plant breeding as as kind of a, a marker tool, we go basically go in and insert that you know next next to uh, the the gene that we care about. Think of it like screwing in a light bulb next to that that promoter gene that we care about, so that when the stress is induced, the gene turns on, as well as the fluorescent protein that we've inserted, uh, which enables us to 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 kind of manifest an optical signal. Um, this has actually been done in the lab for years, as I think I was telling you. Problem is there was no clear way to translate it to a commercial field setting, being able to see these signals in, in broad daylight outdoors. These signals fluorescence, it's, it's invisible to the human eye. You need a high level of um, spectral resolution to be able to ascertain the, the signal. Um, Chlorophyll is a form of fluorescence. So we're effectively expanding the bands and saying there are these additional fluorescent markers that we now should be paying attention to. And, and the key unlock for, for Interplant on the detection side of things is um, a proprietary algorithm we've, we've developed which leverages um, uh, solar-induced fluorescence technology. So basically being able to use the solar reflectance from the sun. So that's that's kind of our excitation light in an outdoor field setting. Uh, using that sun solar reflectance and uh, disentangling that from the new light, the, the fluorescent that the fluorescence that that we've introduced into the into the genome. And that's all done um, you know, behind the scenes through a through an algorithm. Um, so all we need is hyperspectral imagery, and then we can do the magic of retrieving the fluorescence from from that imagery. It's amazing. I mean, the, your analogy of screwing the light bulb in next to the genome, I think is great. It's, it really helps you understand like 
it's natural processes. We're just throwing a little indicator in there. And I'm guessing that at the beginning, it's going to kind of start with ones and zeros, offs and ons, but over time it can get more nuanced or how would you say that's going to progress? Yeah, I would say it only gets better over time. Technically the, the signals or the response from the plant is graduated, right? Like it kicks in and then over time, uh, as the stress worsens, those those genes are upregulated more and more. And we've got reason to believe peak expression is at 48 hours. So 48 hours after the onset is when it's expressing most. Um, but, you know, uh, really the 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 on off or the one and the zero is a huge step change relative to what farmers have today. Right. So just that idea of within 48 hours getting an early detection of a specific type of stress. Hey, you've got a fungal pressure in this corner of your field um, is, is huge, right? Because now you've got seven to 10 days of lead time that you would ordinarily have no idea that something is, 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 is happening in your field um, to, to act, right? Before visible symptoms are, are, are there and before the, the disease or the problem is spread to, to, to affect an entire field and have some sort of yield hit, right? So, that's that's the goal to start is let's at least get ones and zeros out there so we can start to on a plant by plant basis at least know what and when uh, stuff is popping up. It's um, ever since I've heard of Interplan, I've been fascinated by it because I think you know on your website you'll you'll say something like you know plants have always been able to speak. We're you know trying basically teaching them how to speak to us or us to be able to understand them a little bit better. And I just love that idea. I just think there's so many different ways that we communicate other than just you know, vocal and written language, there's body language, there's sign language, there's all these different things. And so you're, you're unlocking a living organism's ability to basically say, Hey, this is how I'm feeling right now, or what I'm kind of going through right now. So we can do something uh, better with that information. And in some ways it's, it's teaching them, but it's also kind of teaching ourselves um, and how this goes two ways. So I, I just think it's a fascinating thing. I could see somebody who maybe is outside the industry who hears about this and says, this seems odd, you know, or I don't, it's too hard to believe. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, I, 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 I felt like I got it right away and I just thought, Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah of course we yeah. can do this. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think this is why I say farmers understand it better than most people is because they yeah. understand that plants are only as healthy as the conditions they're presented with, right? And so because they respond differently, there should be a way to tap into those natural pathways to glean something from it, right? And uh, to not do that just means the best data set, you know, the plant's physio physiology, the biological responses are being emitted from the equation, which, which feels like a missed opportunity. Um, it feels like, uh, you know, not opening up a communication channel, um, that, 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 you know, it, it, it might be the best one. Right. So Who I, are I like your ling linguistics tie in. Um, it's a good, good analogy we should lean into. Who are some of the, whenever this, as this was progressing and you're making, mm -hmm. um, you're making headway on it, who are some of the ones who are saying, oh, I totally get this and support this. I either want to you know, fund you or partner with you or be one of the first to try this out? Like who are the, who are some of the people um, or what were the motivators that allowed them to say like, oh, I get this. I, I'm ready to be an early adopter on, on this. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'll answer that question, but I'd I'd love to answer the 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 question about who who some of the the skeptics were because mm. I think that's maybe even more illustrative of um, you know the potential for for something like this. So uh, farmers, number one, um, I mean, like I said, they they understand the untap knowledge here, and um, you know they struggle to to uh, make informed management decisions and to optimize yields in the face of expensive input costs. And so anything that's going to help them drive better margin um, and you know reduce the risk and uncertainty associated with their operations, uh, I think is, is, is a plus. And so we've got great feedback from farmers. We've got a uh, a network we call Inner Circle, which is our wait list, early adopter program, whatever you want to call it. But it's 75 producers, I think over 500,000 acres now across wow. 10 states. And so these these folks are are, are certainly our, our biggest champions. Um, I'd say the other, and, and this is almost counterintuitive in light of, I think, some of the traditional narratives around genetic engineering and GM technologies and crops. Uh, but we've received outstanding feedback, very little concerns from your everyday Joe, you know, consumers who on mm. the very back ends, the the not a, not the end users, but really the the consumers of of the the the, the downstream products here. Um, and, and that's because I think what we're doing is 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 like categorically different from the application of this type of technology previously. And that is using these kind of traits, not only to drive efficiencies and productivities on the farm, but also the sustainability gain here, right? Um, I think uh, the, the truth is that, um, you know, given, and this won't be news to anyone, but given the increasing demand from a growing population for commodity crops and the the caloric intake we get from commodity crops um we need to solve some major problems around what we can do um how we can do more with less given the restraints on you know uh land that i think we should try our best to practice and um given the uh as i've talked about earlier the superfluous nature of how we use these synthetic inputs um so I think th those are the two with respect to kind of uh, the, the skeptics. Funny enough, it's, and again, this may, may or may not surprise people, but it's, it's the folks that have kind of done this before that have taken these type of traits to market and should, at least on the face, understand the power of this technology. But I think with, with, with incumbents, these being the large seed and, and, and chemical providers, there's always inertia uh, against a shift in the status quo and the status quo has served them quite well because, yes. you know, as you learn about, you know, existing seed technologies, effectively what those seed technologies enable these companies to do is sell more chemicals. These seed technologies make large scale commodity crops resistant to herbicides. So plant our herbicide resistant seeds and you can buy, you know, an increasing cocktail of our chemistries on the back end. Um, and so I think there's a lot of, there's long cycle times for those traits. They've got some amount of runway. And so um, a lot of it is still on patent, though increasingly coming off patent. So I think there's 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 just a, a, a comfort with the status quo. 
um, and a reluctance to push forward something that's going to change their roadmap for the next 10 to 30 years, cost millions of dollars to get through regulatory and take a long time to pan out. So, Yeah, they, people don't want to be disrupted. And even if they join in with the disruptor, they'd rather just squash it and pretend it doesn't exist. And it, it don't, it's not, right. it's not bad intentions. It's just, they got to protect the bottom line and this is threatening that. And mm-hmm. I'd rather see this next thing coming along. That's threatening this, you know, high margin thing that's already established. It's threatening that. And there's more money in medicating the problem than there is in solving it. So when people that's are coming right. along solving it, uh, they're like, Hey, well, we've been medicating this for a long time. And I, yes, maybe it's, uh, part of the problem, but, uh, yeah, there's some good parts to it. I think we'll just keep on going. It, especially I think in ag and food tech, this is mm-hmm. very predominant. I think it is with every industry, but I, I see it too. Mm-hmm. And I'm always rooting for people to do well without mm-hmm. having to join in with the big mm-hmm. incumbents because the big incumbents, no offense, they just, they're not incentivized to disrupt yep. themselves. Nobody yep. wants to disrupt themselves. The the benefit is you've got pressures coming from both sides, yes. right? So from you mentioned the consumers, consumers, which is the hardest, that's the hardest group to get. And if you've got them on your side, that's a huge plus because yeah. without it, you can scare away partners and people say, I don't know. But I, 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 I think consumers are, are you're right, are, are them, are the hardest to get, but in some ways, um, farmers are the most important, right? Yes. Cause it all starts with the, the you know on 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 the farm property the decisions are made there and farmers are making decisions about which seeds they plant and and which crop protection or fertility products they apply um and i'd say uh the pressure to change um is stronger on that end of the the spectrum today only because of the challenging environment and dynamics for farmers and how bad it's got. You know, when you look at the price of seeds over the course of the past 25 years, at least in North America with these large crops, they've gone up 300%, right? Margins are so thin. If you have a destructive crop loss, um, you know, you're, you're almost certainly operating in the negative. And so there's, there's, there's a lot of, I think, um, momentum, um, on, on, on that side of the thing, uh, on that side of the spectrum, that, that it's really important to know. What do, what do you think is a bigger value prop to most growers? Is it that they should be able to use less inputs and applications because they'll know more information or is it de-risking, uh, that season's crop because they're just going to know more about it and big surprises are less likely to happen. I know there's a lot of variables, but this can eliminate some variables. Which one do you think is a bigger or the mm-hmm. same thing? Yeah, I, I'd say, uh, yeah, two sides of the same coin. I think the biggest value prop is is choice, right? Like, it all starts with the data. Interplant is certainly not a silver bullet, but with better data comes better products, better ways to apply those products, and just more grounds to be smarter or have more autonomy around the management decisions the farmer wants to make, Right. You could think about, you know, if it all starts with the seed and physiological data coming from interplant, what that might empower. It empowers equipment that can now apply the right amount of crop protection on a plant by plant basis. Perhaps we can start to get smarter about the products we're applying. We can start to understand the efficacy of biological solutions and how, you know, the signal is responding to these new products coming to market. 
uh, to potentially drive mm. or accelerate the shift to biological products. So it just provides a framework and a roadmap for a real systems change. Um, and that should open up, I think, tremendous amount of new innovation from the incumbents, as well as upstarts coming on the scene that want to serve farmers, as well as for, for farmers that can now, uh, with some level of, with an increased level of um, certainty, uh, start to test these things, right, with, with, with less to lose because they have, you know, the, the, the visibility into field health and, and, and crop loss risk. Do you find that there's still some annoying misconceptions that exist or maybe some unnecessary hurdles in front of teams like yourself or others in the space that you're like, man, I wish that I wish we could get past that because it's unnecessary or they just don't understand. Yeah. The biggest one for me would be the, the understanding or the belief that uh, what we're trying to do is so difficult and it can only be done by the companies that have some sort of precedent by these large agrochemical companies. Um, I think there's a belief that uh, this has to take 10 to 15 years. It has to cost half a billion dollars in deregulation expenses. Uh, I think we're, we're going to find that uh, yet again, startups can find a way not to cut corners, but to think through how to solve problems differently and, you know, try a hand at different narratives, different methodologies of collecting and sharing data. Um, and so, you know, be it from investors or our prospective partners in these large seed companies. I think that's the biggest objection or conception that frustrates me most. Most um, on, the, on the technology itself, I think, like I said, um, we're building off of so many amazing technological advancements that folks are already excited about. And so, you know, one could imagine a world in which, you know, folks have a knee jerk reaction to what we're working on. But when you explain how we're converging all of these game changing innovations into one clean system that adds value both downstream to consumers from an environmental standpoint, as well as to farmers from an economic standpoint, uh, it's it's pretty hard to, to, to not agree with. So I would say there's not a lot of uh, misconceptions on that end once you have the chance to kind of lay it out. Yeah. Any yeah. any predictions of what you think this not not just your uh, company and technology, but kind of your section of the industry? Any thoughts of like what the next five, 10, 15 years look like? Are there, are there things that you think will progress on maybe faster than other people realize or things that will come along that interesting thoughts? I would say a big one for Interplant is the advancements in remote sensing and satellite capabilities. We think a lot about this because with our seeds being in the field, uh, we've always had a strong belief that the most scalable and cost-effective way to pick up on those signals and deliver it to farmers early on a daily basis will be to leverage uh, satellite remote sensing. The number of startups that are launching you know, payloads cheaply, hitting full constellations within a year or two is really astounding. It creates a lot of optionality for us as we, you know, survey the birds in the sky and think about, you know, who we want to work with and for what use case. Um, but, but I would just say, you know, keep, keep, keep your eye out for the types of data sets 
that you know this type of imagery is going to provide um and how much value that can add you know to to our global food and ag systems i think it'll take a lot of work to realize that value um the raw imagery isn't good enough but that's why we feel so good about kind of our our ability to take that um and extrapolate the fluorescence provide that data but it wouldn't be possible without the advancements in remote sensing, which I think year over year, resolutions getting better, frequencies getting better, new capabilities in some types of, in terms of the types of imaging. It's pretty it's pretty fun to watch. I'm by no means an expert in that in that in that field, but uh, pay a lot of attention and 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 I get excited by what's happening there. It really does feel like the timing is right because these are running parallel paths, aren't they? I mean, it's, exactly. uh, there's a lot of companies in that space uh, looking to figure out who's going to kind of win in that category or find their niche. And so, yeah, it, it, it's timing is good on that front for you. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned at the beginning of this, that you were uh number employee, number seven, number eight, something along those lines. What's been the most rewarding part for you so far uh, with your time at Interplan? Yeah, this one's easy. I think, I mean, the team has tripled in size since I joined um, and I've had a chance to get to know almost every one of our employees uh, on a deep personal level. And uh, we've got a great team. Like, I don't know if this is par for the course or unusual, but somehow every hire has been just outstanding. I couldn't think of a better person to serve in their respective role. Um, you know, we'll, we'll certainly over the course of the next year or two scale and at a number of employees, but you know, I've got no doubt in kind of the strength of this foundational team that we have today. I think it's like 27 employees about. Um, so, so, so that's 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 a big one for me. Like I said, I don't know if we got lucky or you know, there's just something compelling about our technology, or if you know, we 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 didn't do a lot of proactive hiring. A lot of it was opportunistic and inbound. And so something tells me we got lucky, but yeah, the the team is by far and away the the thing I'm proudest of. Yeah. Sometimes when you have a strong idea, that's, it feels inevitable. You you have more luck. So that could Mm -hmm. be part of it. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm fascinated by this and I have a feeling other people listening uh, will be fascinated and will take, want to take a look and learn a little bit more. Where would you point them? If if someone was saying, Hey, I want to learn a little bit more about interplant, where would you point them? Yeah, towards me, towards Shelly, both both of us love, you know, the chance to connect with new people and share what we're working on. I think we're always open to to feedback, initial reacting reactions because uh, it it gets us thinking differently. Uh, all of the available info on our technology, how it works, what the roadmap looks like, is available at interplant.com. So check the website. Um, we have our own podcast. It's called Croptastic. Uh, usually hosted by our CEO and founder, Shelly, sometimes hosted by me. Um, we've got a number of farmers that we work directly with, partners, as well as just other industry subject matter experts um, and, and, and thought leaders that we feature on there. Um, it's, it's, it's less about our company and more about how we think about uh, the world of, of, that we operate in and, and, and what the future is going to look like. So I'd point people there because that stuff's just interesting and we've got some awesome guests. That's cool. Well, yeah. for anybody listening, if you've made it this far, then that means you're probably a prime candidate for listening to Croptastic. So check that one out. Uh, Reza, thanks for uh, making some time today and joining. Yeah, I appreciate you having me, Justin. This has been a fun conversation and um, let's do it again. Let's do it. Hey everyone, we've learned a lot from this podcast series and we've put the good stuff in a handful of PDF frameworks. It's topics like messaging, channel strategy, and market fit. 
You can grab them at nativedigital.com resources.